Lord, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in you, for you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I don't know what you think when you hear one of Jesus' parables. Every time I hear one of those stories, it always makes me ask, what was going on that would prompt him to tell that story? I mean, for example, many of you know the story of the Good Samaritan. What was going on that Jesus would say, oh, by the way, let me give you this illustration. Today we're going to take a look at the parable of the five wise and the five foolish virgins. And so we really need to ask ourselves, what was going on that Jesus would tell this story? Now, if you've got your Bibles with you, I'm going to tell you that the context for Matthew 25, 1 to 13 is actually found back in Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew 24, Jesus is teaching about the end of time. What it's going to be like when the skies open, the trumpets sound, the angels come, and Jesus comes to take us all back home. And then he gives us several examples. And to help his hearers, and even that's us, understand, uh, Jesus tells these parables, which most of you probably know are, are earthly stories that have some sort of a heavenly or spiritual meaning. And in this parable of the wise and foolish virgins, Jesus is talking about the future. And he's talking about the consequences of either being prepared or being unprepared for his return. Now, I'm going to walk us through Matthew 25, 1 to 13 this morning, and make some points. For you, those of you that are type A personalities that are looking to fill in blanks on your outline, uh, sorry, I'm not following the outline, but I'd be glad to help you fill in the blanks at the end of the service if I can remember uh, those particular points. But let me tell you something about the setting of this story, because you do need to understand something. At the time of Jesus, marriage rituals were a lot more elaborate than they are today, if you can actually imagine that. Back in the days of Jesus, a groom actually paid the father of a bride for his new bride. And once he had paid that price, he would leave, and he would leave for about a year. A year would pass because he would go back to his hometown and he would start either building or making ready the house that he and his intended bride would live in someday. Now, after about a year would pass, he would set off to the bride's house to get her and take her back home. And what would happen is there would be a big procession that would follow the bridegroom as he marched to that town, got his new bride, and everybody in the crowd would have their own torch or they'd have their own lamp. Now, to be in the parade without a lamp meant that you were a wedding crasher, you were a gate buster, and you'd probably be locked out by the groom when they finally got to his house. Now, that's the background to the story that Jesus begins to tell. Now, I want to read verse 1. It says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. You've got the picture here. All ten virgins had lamps. Nobody was without a lamp. That's key. I want you to remember that. Now, in verses 2 to 5, Jesus says there's a little bit of difference, though, between these virgins. Let me read these words. It says, five of them were foolish, five were wise. 
the five who were with who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. So now you've got the picture. Five of them take enough oil for their lamps to burn. The other five that he actually uses the word foolish, for whatever reason, did not bring enough to keep their lamps lit the entire night. Now, I want you to understand something that not only did everybody have a lamp, but oil for those lamps was readily available. But only five of them, for some strange reason, chose to bring enough oil. See, the only difference between these ten virgins was that half of them didn't bring enough oil. So there must be something significant about that word oil, and we're going to get to that here in a minute. But you know, when you think about this, what did these wise and foolish virgins look like? Well, chances are they all looked the same. There was no visible difference between them. But at the same time, they were, everybody's going to see a real big difference. Both the wise and the foolish virgins in this parable all started out with the best of intentions. They wanted to be outside so that when the bride passed down the street in their village, they could immediately jump up, light their, their lamps, and be a part of this grand procession. They've been waiting for this to happen, you could almost say, for all of their lives, for at least this last year. But one group was not prepared. You know, when I read that parable, it suggests to me that it's one thing to be present. It's another thing to be paying attention and to be ready. For example, some of you today are present. I mean, you're here. <laughs> you're warm in a pew. But maybe you're not particularly paying attention. Maybe you're not really ready for anything. And we know from verse 5, for whatever reason, the Bible doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say, there's a little bit of a delay, and they all fall asleep, all of them. But now verse 6 begins kind of dramatically. Jesus said at midnight, they were roused by a shout, look! The bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. Now, today, if you go to weddings, every once in a while, you'll still hear that old song played, Here Comes the Bride. I don't particularly like that song, but some people still play it. But in the days of Jesus, they would not have played it. They would have probably played, Here Comes the Groom. Here Comes the Groom, because that's who they were expecting. Now, how many of you remember playing the game Hide and Seek? Anybody ever play hide-and-seek? Okay. Yeah, you know what happened? You'd close your eyes, you'd count to ten, everybody would run off, and then you would all shout, ready or not, here I come. When I read this parable, and when I read this parable again, those are the first words that came to mind. Ready or not, here I come. See, the shout goes up, the groom has come for his bride, the ten virgins immediately wake up, and in verse 7, it says, all the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. They were ready. But in verse 8, something goes wrong. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. See, the moment and the one that they had been watching for and waiting for suddenly shows up unexpectedly and they're totally unprepared. The foolish virgins immediately turn to the wise ones who have some oil and say, give us some of yours. But there's a very disappointing answer in verse 9. The others replied, we don't have enough for all of us, 
go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. I remember reading this story to a group of people a number of years ago and said, somebody said, but pastor, that sounds kind of rude, doesn't it? They weren't even willing to share with these other people. Well, you know, you might think the response of the other five was harsh, but it really is not. There is nothing harsh in their reply at all. In fact, it shows true wisdom. They know that the oil in their lamps is sufficient only for themselves, and if they shared their oil with all of the other people, their lamps would probably go out, and they too would miss the celebration. It made me think that they did not keep the oil to themselves, but they kept the oil for themselves, and there's a big difference there. In fact, verse 10 even tells us, they gave advice, it said, while they were gone to buy the oil, they said, there's a place you can go get it. You can go get it right now. But while they were gone, something happened. And in the concluding part of verse 10, we read that while the foolish virgins were away to, trying to buy this oil, the groom arrived and the wise people followed him into the home and the door was shut. Verse 10. But while they were gone to buy the oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. You know, there's a kind of a finality about that. The door was shut. The door was locked. But then comes a very sad appendix to this story in verses 11 and 12. It says, later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord! Open the door for us. But he called back, Believe me, I don't know you. The five foolish virgins show up again at the house. The door is tightly shut. They're crying out, but there's no last-minute tickets to get in. All those with the lamps lit are all safely inside. And the bride's, bridegroom says, I don't even know you people. And I want you to notice that he does not know them. He hears them, he answers them, but he does not know them. Now, they know who he is, they know on whom to call, but it all happens way too late. He doesn't know them. Verse 13, Jesus issues a very stern warning to the people who listen to this story, and that would include you and I today, he said, so you too must keep watch, for you do not know the hour or the day of my return. Now friends, the question is, what earthly lesson do we learn from this heavenly or spiritual story? What is Jesus saying to us today in this story of five wise people, five foolish people, particularly when he says, you too, keep watch, because you don't know when I'm coming back. I want you to do something uh, real quick. I want you to look around. You have my, my permission. It's not non-Lutheran. Non Just look around. Look all over the place. Just look, look behind you. Your heads are more on a swivel. I've seen you during communion. You can move your heads around. You see all the people? What do you see when you look around? I mean, I, I look at the whole group of you. What do you see? you probably see a lot of other people. People who in many ways look a lot like you. But let me ask you a more probing question. As you looked around, could you spot the wise ones? Could you spot the wise ones when you looked around? 
Or did you see some people out there who are foolish? Now, you may not like hearing this from your pastor, but it may very well be that sitting here today in this worship center are both wise and foolish people. Now, one thing I know for sure is that everybody here today has been given a lamp. You have been given a life. You have been given a soul. That's what God has done for every last person here. The truth is, though, that some of you may be sitting here today with a lamp that has no oil. Now, let me explain by what Jesus means by oil. The Greek word is charis, and it, it has two different meanings. One is oil, and it also means grace. Now, maybe you remember at the beginning of the message, I told you that the groom paid a price for his bride. In the same way, Jesus paid a price for you, his bride, the church, for you and me. The price was his life. The cost was his shed blood on the cross. He had to pay that price to pay the penalty for your sin, for my sin. And as a result of that, that oil or that grace was and is available to all ten virgins in the parable. But guess what? Only five of them took advantage of what God offered them in the name of Jesus. For some strange reason, some other people walked around with their lamps, but never took a hold of what Jesus wanted to give them. This may very well be true here this morning. I make no assumptions whatsoever. Just because you're here, I do not assume that all of you are saved or that all of you are wise. See, the grace, this forgiveness of sins, this eternal life, this salvation is available, but maybe not all of you have actually received it. Maybe some of you have thought, well, other people have brought enough, and, and I'll just borrow some of theirs when it comes a little bit later in time. That sometimes describes younger kids. They're going to get by on mom and dad's oil. They're going to get by on grandma and grandpa's oil. And I think, sadly, sometimes it works the other way around, too, that maybe mom and dad think that they can kind of coast in on the oil of their children who are so much more faithful in Bible study or worship than they. But friends, the truth of this parable is that you cannot share in somebody else's portion in grace. You and you alone need to have a relationship with God through Jesus. When Jesus comes, you're not going to be able to borrow anything from anybody. You cannot go in because somebody else in your family was a believer. You cannot go in simply by holding up your confirmation certificate signed by the sainted pastor so-and-so. You need to have your own oil, your own relationship with God through Jesus. You will not be able to beg, borrow, share whatever another person's experience of having their sins forgiven. In fact, when that time comes, it will be too late. Even though some of you may have started out strong, it'll be too late, even though some of you have spent much of your life sleeping next to somebody else whose light is lit very strongly. In fact, there may be some of you here this morning who have watched other people in this church over the years put the oil of grace in the jar of their life. You've witnessed their coming to a strong personal relationship with Jesus, you may have even been the person who brought them here the very first time so that they could even hear the good news of Jesus. 
You watched them as they repented of their sins. You watched them as they received God's grace. But your lamp sat there empty because you had not yet received Jesus as Savior and Lord. This is a serious question, friends, for people in church. When the groom comes, will you be found with the oil of grace in your lamp or without the oil of grace in your lamp and the door shut? See, the five foolish virgins saw the other five taking their jars of oil. But for whatever reason, they never asked why. They never asked, where do you get this oil? They never said, how can I get this for myself? Now, they knew that their lamp was not going to burn without oil, but they thought they had enough for what they needed. They only realized their error when? When the door was shut. The truth is, some of you here this morning may have a lamp. You're aware of your lamp. You know you've got a soul. But maybe you have no oil of grace in your lamp. You have no spiritual light in your life. And see, with no spiritual light in your life, you have no spiritual life. You have no spiritual sight. Without spiritual sight, you cannot really see God clearly. You cannot hear what God wants to say to you. Without spiritual life, the door of salvation literally is shut. And you'll be left standing outside crying, Lord, Lord. And Jesus will simply look at you and say, I don't know who you are. That's terrible news, isn't it? That's hard to take. In fact, some of you are saying, man, I thought I came to church today to feel good. We're going to help you feel good yet. But sometimes you never know how to feel good unless you honestly look yourself in the face and look scripture in the face and understand how hopeless and helpless you could possibly be. I mean, just think about it, friends. How sad it would be to have your, your feet on the road to meet the groom only to discover at the end of your life that the groom doesn't even know who you are and that you're barred from heaven forever. You're out of eternity. You're going to miss out completely on the wedding feast. Friends, let me tell you something very clearly. One day, Jesus is going to come back. I believe in the Lutheran rapture. You all know what that is. Jesus will come again to judge both the living and the dead. We believe that. I don't care how you want to phrase it. Someday, Jesus will come back to judge the living and the dead. He is going to come back to pick up his bride. He's going to come back and pick up his church. He's going to come back and pick up those people who have a, a living, loving, lasting relationship with him through Jesus. But he's going to come back like a thief in the night. I'm not quite sure what that's like, but I tell you, at 3.45 this morning when my phone rang and the alarms are going off at the church for about the 800th time since I've been here, does that sound like I'm complaining? I am. And I get out of my warm bed and trudge over into this cold place and walk around this place. Well, see, one of the policemen told me last night, he says, it's too doggone cold for anybody be, to be out tonight to do anything bad. And I thought, no, dark, cold nights are exactly when people do bad things. Now, the good news is all I needed to do was turn off the alarm, go back, and not sleep again until my alarm went off. 
But see, he's going to come back someday like a thief in the night when nobody's expecting him. He comes for people with oil in their lamp, people with grace flowing through their lives. Now, some people are going to wake up at that time and they're going to be surprised because they don't have what it takes. They're going to cry out for salvation with every ounce of their strength, but it's going to be too late because the door has been shut. That's the bad news. But friends, here's the good news. Here's the good news. The good news is that it does not have to be that way for anybody who's here this morning. It does not have to be that way for anybody in this entire world. This is a place. This is one of many places where the oil of grace is found. Bible-believing, Bible-teaching churches, these are places where the grace of God is found. This is where you find out about Jesus Christ, where you find out about Jesus Christ crucified for your sins, Jesus Christ risen from the dead for your salvation. See, the good news is that you have the opportunity, friends, each and every Sunday. You've got the opportunity each and every time you open this book. You have the opportunity each and every time you fold your hands or not fold your hands in prayer to collect the oil of grace that God so richly and deeply wants to, desires to fill your lamp with. It's a simple matter of repenting of your sins and asking Jesus to come into your life not only as Savior and Lord. I think sometimes this is where people miss the boat. You know, repentance doesn't necessarily mean, oh, I'm sorry, and then you keep on doing it. Repentance says you're going one way. You're involved with one sin. I don't care. You name your sin. Whatever sin that is, you, you, you're all caught up in gossip. You can't say a good thing about anybody. And if you just say, oh, sorry, and keep on walking, you've not repented. Repentance means I turn and I go the other way. It's not just that Jesus is my Savior, that I understand that he died for me on the cross. Guess what? Satan knows that one too. But this is, has to do with making him now Lord of my life. This means I'm going to give him open access to all parts of my life and not just to some. I can't come and live like a Sunday morning Christian and a Monday morning pagan. I can't walk, stand in here and praise the name of Jesus and walk outside and use the name of Jesus incorrectly. I can't stand here and say how much I love the brothers and sisters and then walk out and trash them one after another. Friends, it just doesn't work that way. It's repentance. It's understanding that Jesus died for those sins. It's a desire to turn around, to go the opposite way, and to have Jesus truly be Savior and Lord of your life. This morning you have the opportunity to collect the oil of grace that God gives, that he wants to give. See, God the Father is counting. Right now, up in heaven, there's a countdown clock. No one knows what that clock looks like, not even Jesus, the Bible says. God's about ready to shout out, ready or not, here I come. How will you be found, ready or not? 
Maybe some of you have heard of the sinner's prayer. The sinner's prayer is a term that describes the words spoken by a person when he or she finally acknowledges the sin in their life. When they finally recognize the need for a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I've written a sinner's prayer out. I'm going to pray it this morning for all of us, for myself. And I want you to just listen to these words, too, just to make these words your own as well. Father, I know that I have broken your laws, that my sins have separated me from you. I am truly sorry, and now I want to turn away from my sinful past life and turn toward you. Please forgive me and help me avoid sinning again. I believe that your son, Jesus Christ, died for my sins, was resurrected from the dead, and is alive, and hears my prayer. I invite Jesus to become the Lord of my life, to rule and reign in my heart from this day forward. And please send your Holy Spirit to help me, to help me obey you and to do your will for the rest of my life. And I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, friends, I know enough to tell you this, that if you truly repent of your sins and you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says there's a big celebration in heaven. The angels are having a party because somebody has turned to step across the doorway into the Father's house. The Bible also tells us there are a number of things you ought to be thinking about doing. Not in order to be saved, but just in response to the wonderful oil of grace that God's given us. If you've not been baptized, I don't know if there's anybody here today like that. If you've never been baptized, today's to have it done, to do it. Learn to spend time with God each and every day. If you don't, you don't have to have a long period of time. Just develop a daily habit of getting alone and speaking to God and reading his word. Ask God to increase your faith and your understanding of his word. Pray to the Holy Spirit before you read your Bible for wisdom and knowledge and understanding. Immerse yourself in a group of Christian friends who will help you answer the questions of life and who will help support you on this journey. Make sure you stay deeply connected with Bible-believing and Bible-teaching churches like First Lutheran where you can worship God. I'll say it one more time. This morning you have another opportunity where you can collect the oil of grace that God desires to fill your life with. It's a simple matter of repenting of your sins and receiving Jesus as Savior and Lord. God the Father is counting, and he is about to shout, Ready or not, here I come. Will you be found ready? or not. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is an amazing thing. It cuts and it heals at the same time. There's no doubt about it that a story like this, the parable of the wise and the foolish virgins, is not an easy one to hear because very few of us ever associate ourselves with foolish people. And yet sometimes the truth is 
that we've not done much of anything to see to it that we have the oil in our life that you so greatly desire. Father, I pray for all of us today. If we have found ourselves with our hand over that spot where you want to pour that grace to get our hands off, to do whatever it takes to get our attention, to take that sin that is grabbed onto us so tight that it seems like we could never get rid of it, that you would do whatever it takes for us to pry that off, to turn around, and to get our feet going in the right direction. Lord, I pray for those special times with you each day, a time just to worship you, to pray, to read your word, and have you teach me during those times. And Father, I just pray that all of us will find ourselves in a place where we can be surrounded by Christian friends. But we have those hard times in life where people can come around and can support us. And Lord, we thank you for this church. We thank you for this local body of Christ known as First Lutheran. A place where the oil is dispensed according to your word. Father, when the end comes, when you do come and shout, ready or not, here I come, count us amongst the ready. We pray it in the name of Jesus, who also taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.